on ABC Radio. This is The Big Fish with Scott Levi. Ahoy there, welcome aboard. Drop the kelic and settle in for a spot of fishing. And a really big show this week. We might be in the depths of winter, but lots happening in the fishing world. First cast off to the tackle show, tackling the big tackle show on the Gold Coast with Jonathan Bleakley from Ozfish Unlimited. We'll check out the latest innovations in fishing lures and tackle. And also off to the Mid-North Coast camping, fishing and boating show at Warhope, where you can save a platypus and win an iconic Aussie lure. And last week, Stinker took you exploring up the Karua River. This week, we're off to explore the islands and a canny gardener who used the search for buried treasure to his own advantage. It's a great story. A great yarn with Stinker, all coming up on The Big Fish. Bleakley from Ozfish Unlimited, the not-for-profit habitat restoration and fishing lobby group, is at a big show on the Gold Coast, the AFTA show. What does... Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning, mate. I hope you can hear me. It's pretty hectic up here at the moment. Yeah, you're right in amongst it. What does AFTA stand for? Well, it's the Australian Fishing Tackle Trade Association or Trade Show, which is essentially just a chance for all the new tackle brands and industries to come together in one big convention centre and kind of show off the new product that they've been developing over the last 12 to 18 months. So uh, we have cycles, just like in retail and everything. The, uh, the tackle industry goes in cycles. And this is a chance for everyone to get together, have a look at the gear, talk about the different technology, media to get in here and capture a few photos. It's, look, it's a fantastic event, and uh, looking around, I think it's going to be a busy one. Is it an opportunity for fisher folk who are really keen? I know that uh, Joe Starling and the Re- Women's Recreational Fishing League and, and people like that uh, get along to these. Is it a, an opportunity for the fishing media and, and uh, uh, fishing community to come together too? Yeah, absolutely. So the Saturday is a free public day, so if you're in the area and you want to come check out, there'll be influencers and, and um, media personalities here, but then also all the marketing and sales team. If you want to get involved, you come on Saturday on the free day and um, that's a chance for any angler in and around this area to come and say good day. And then um, the first two days before that are really set aside for um, for trade. So that's people like Ozfish and the, the Women's Rec Fishing League to kind of intermingle with other people in the industry to kind of build those connections up. So it's a really great format. That's great, isn't it? And uh, what I find interesting is that the innovations in tackle uh, you know, the fish often get wise to some of the, the lures in the estuaries and, and uh, closed waters particularly, don't they? I'm thinking about when um, uh, hard vibes, for little, little tiny uh, uh, metal vibes first hit the market and uh, you, you take them to Malakuta, hop them across the, the bottom and the brim would just go mental for them, would fight, each other, fight each other to get on the hook. And, and after a while when they feel that vibration from that particular type of very tactile lure, they, all of a sudden they uh, shy away, so we need a, a new one. Yeah, well, it's all about development, right? So fish will, fish will get, you know, they get aware of different lures and patterns and shapes, like you said. So 
coming up here and then looking at all the different technologies and colors and patterns and sizes that they're starting to implement, it's really, really cool. And it's good to say that some of the exhibitors up here are starting to care about things like sustainability and fish handling. So a lot more single hooks being used on lures up here as opposed to treble hooks, a lot more biodegradable um, plastics are being used instead of your traditional PVCs. Um, and a lot of the packaging is starting to be refined. We're still a long, long way from where we need to be in that department, but I'm starting to see, I've, I've done this show a few years now, I'm starting to see a trend, which is, which is really good news. That's great. And the, the anglers have to demand it, don't they? You know, unnecessary plastic, um, all of the things. And, and really, when you look at lure fishing, um, possibly a, a lot cleaner than bait fishing. Bait bags are a, a scourge, aren't they? They really need to, to look at themselves, the, the bait providers. Yeah, absolutely. Look, this is predominantly a, a lure um, show up here at the moment. There is terminal tackle and things like that available. But, I mean, I'm looking around me now. I'm in the thick of it. There is stands everywhere. So, you know, if you're a tackle junkie, is what we call them, um, and you were to come in here, you could spend a whole day in here just winding different reels, lures, feeling different rods. And there's swim tanks. I'm even looking at a big tank here about the size, half the size of an Olympic swimming pool where you can go and test the lures. So, look, such an interactive event. Great for the kids too. And uh, I can't wait to see all the kids running around in here, you know, not only interacting in casting competitions and the tank, but also just getting a feel uh, for what the tackle industry is like. What do you think will work on your local estuary, Lake Macquarie, and, and uh, the offshore scene where you fish uh, in sort of the, the, the middle half of, of New South Wales? Have you seen anything there that really, really got you excited? Oh, there's so many new soft vibes out, Scotty, and I just can't take my eyes off them. So every tackle company here is launching a new soft vibe, which is so exciting. So I reckon I'm going to go trial them in a, you know, in a moment's time, maybe when I get off the phone to you and go swim in the tank because Flathead and Mulloway and Brim all the way up to Snapper offshore in and around the Hunter region, well, you know, that's just that's your go-to lure as far as I'm, as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, I reckon it's the soft vibes, mate. Wow. What is it about soft vibes that makes them the buzz lure of the day? Oh, I think it's just... So if you think of... If we go back a little bit, you know, fish, fish use vibrations to, to hunt their prey. So, um, you know, certain bait fish will emit, you know, certain vibrations which attract different fish. So... What they've done up here is, is they've got smaller lures all the way up to bigger lures. So depending on what species you're targeting and depending how many vibrations or if you want a really big wobble or, or a subtle moving lure, there's so many different variations now that you can literally hone your lure into the exact species you want to catch and know, well, I'm, I'm replicating the bait fish that, that, that that's eating. So I'm looking at a stand now. They've got uh, 60 mil vibes all the way up to 120 mil vibes. So look, that's, that's a crazy size range with different colours. I think it's the versatility. So you're casting them out, sinking them all the way down to the bottom, through the bait, and then ripping them up with the vibrations. And I think any lure that passes that, any fish, I should say, that passes that lure, well, it's going to be tempted. We're speaking with Jono Bleakley from Ozfish Unlimited at the, the big show, the After Tackle Show on the Gold Coast at the Convention Centre, which is open to, to anglers today. If you're quick, if you're around the border region, you could zip up there and, and uh, ha- have a look at it. It's interesting, isn't it, that the soft vibe uh, evolved from uh, like the, the union of a soft plastic and a metal vibe. Um, do you fish them any differently? Yeah, you, well, it kind of depends. I've noticed that the, 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 the show this year, they're starting to put vibes in here that sink a little slower than usual. So 
a traditional metal vibe, so they're going to plummet down to the bottom. And then they started introducing the same style of lure in, I guess, different plastics and PVCs, which sink slower. So, look, it started from the metal vibe, you're right, but now it's essentially floating vibe, which is so cool. So the evolution of that particular lure is a conversation, you know, straight on its own. And then that's not even to, to get started on, on the hard vibes that are still around and the different technologies that they're using. And then they're using, like, uh, you can picture, like, a bit of foil suspended in the middle of the vibe. So when it sinks and, and spins, it flashes. So, I mean, some of the technology, Scotty, is unbelievable. Yeah, I saw Starlo, who you fished with the other day, who was on the program a couple of weeks back, uh, using one of those uh, in a topwater lure that had this sort of flashing, transparent yeah. mirror, in the, in, in, you know, rotating mirror in the middle of the, the lure. That looked very cool. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing what people are coming up with. And I, when I, you know, I only sampled one of them a few moments ago and the slightest bit of movement, it just, it, it emits the biggest flash you've ever seen. So you can imagine if you're a fish in the water, well, I mean, I'll be, I know what lure I'll be eating. <laughs> the flashy, flashy vibe. And I was talking to one of our great anglers, Nadia Taylor, who was, um, you know, I was talking about how I fish vibes and I just said, I really do like that reassuring sort of, um, vibration up the, up the braid or the gel spin of that brrrr, and she said yes but that's something you're addicted to but that the fish don't like she said you're fishing it way too quick for the estuary you know getting that sort of rip up you don't want that rip, you just want that s- a slow wobble up in her opinion so i guess sometimes it turns them on sometimes it turns them off but uh, that was yeah, well, if, very if interesting if we were to figure out the answer scotty i think there'll be people catching a lot more fish and that's why we love fishing you just never know what the fish want yeah, and um, a lot of Australian innovation there, lots of different uh, Australian products. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's obviously imports over here too, which is, you know, what, what got, you know, the, the tackle scene started in Australia in the first place. But we're starting to see a lot more um, Australian-owned tackle companies here show up every single, you know, every single year there seems to be a few more. So, you know, look, just there's apparel companies, line companies, rod companies, lure companies, tackle storage companies. Then there's charity organisations like Ozfish up here, the Women's Rec Fishing League. Um, literally anything to do with fishing and product, it's here. It must be a big industry. I mean, there must be jobs in all sorts of different facets of this. Yeah, well, I'm looking at marketing managers, sales. Um, we've got content creators. We've got media guys. Um, we've got just general admin staff and assistant R&D. Like, each stand is, you know got 10 to 20 people on it of staff so yeah it's a billion dollar industry in my eyes um and how good is that how good is it that we can you know people can make a living off the sport that we call fishing i mean that's just awesome so coming to a show like this just kind of shows how big it actually is the convention center i'm in at the moment scotty it could fit two football fields on top of each other and then another two two again wide so it is huge and it's all happening isn't it? we've got the sydney International Boat Show on today, and we've got the Darling Harbour Convention Centre and the After Tackle Show at the Gold Coast Convention Centre. I was just looking at uh, the New South Wales Recreational Fishing Trust's annual report for 21-22, and uh, they say that recreational fishing contributes a huge $3.4 billion to the economy each year, and I guess what you're seeing there, value in in, in the retail sector as well as visitation to coastal and inland communities with good fisheries yeah yeah it's it's uh it's a show you've got to get to i mean you could you could you know you go fishing 
if you just go to your little creek and your little tinny every now and then, you could probably, you know, not be aware to how what else is going on behind the scenes. And it's not till you get a show like this that you can kind of see the amount of effort and time that goes into, you know, essentially our experience or our fishing experience. So, yeah, pretty special. And I really encourage anyone in the area to pop in. There's a few hours left, which is awesome. And, I, you know, if you see any of the blue shirts from Oddsfish, come say day. Doing a bit of education, are you, Jono? Absolutely. Scotty, come on. I'm yeah, educating what, what? you right now. I don't know. <laughs> you are. Of course. We, uh, every, time, every, every time someone comes and has a chat, um, you know, we're updating them on a certain project that's in their area. You know, they might have travelled to get here and we can talk about a chapter or a program which is happening near them. Or if you're in the local area up here at the Gold Coast, which is a, a long way from you now, Scotty, but look, there's plenty of projects happening up here and plenty of the locals are excited to hear that, you know, things are happening in their local estuary when it comes to habitat restoration. And then that's not even to say that, um, you know, there's, there's engagement programs and, you know, women wreck fishing programs. So there's plenty going on and we, we just try to educate as many people as we can. Grab a few lures for me, would you? Particularly the one with the, the disco ball in the middle, uh, a few of those surface lures. And, Righto. I'll, uh, I'll get on to Starlo or Guesty, uh, who I know you know very well, and I'll say, hey, we've got to take some for Scotty and the team. Yeah, I like that. Like the look of those. I, I tell you what, I don't know if they're flashy to uh, attract the fishermen or the fish. Tight lines, Jonathan Bleakley. Sounds good. Thanks for the chat, mate. John O'Bleakley there from Ozfish Unlimited at the After Tackle Show on the Gold Coast. And up next on the Big Fish, we're off to the Mid-North Coast Caravan Camping Four-Wheel Drive Fish and Boat Show and your chance to win some fantastic Australian-designed lures. And uh, coming up as well, Catching up with the stinker. And of course, this weekend for our Sydney listeners, you've got the Sydney International Boat Show on down at the Darling Harbour Convention Centre and on the harbour there at Cockle Bay. So it's all happening this weekend. The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. What do you know about ghost fishing? It has nothing to do with summoning spirits from beyond a watery grave. The Tierra Mar Foundation are the ghost busters of the aquatic world fighting to get rid of these insidious nets. Uh, And it's not just a marine environment problem off our coast with the mesh nets that float around killing or in our estuaries with those evil witches' hats that kill all of the turtles. It's also a killer in our inland and freshwater environment. And we're catching up with the managing director of Tierra Mar, Anissa Lawrence. Welcome to The Big Fish. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're uh, teaming up with my old fishing buddy from Wagga, Wayne Lennon, to do something very special uh, for fishers, for fisher folk, and also the environment. Tell us all about it. Yeah, so we've got a, um, a in partnership with Ozfish and uh, DPI, uh, and Wayne's involved as well through Orgy Lures. Um, we are working together to collect all the old opera house yabby traps that are out there sitting in people's sheds and garages and wherever, um, collecting dust. And we're going to, um, in return for people coming and dropping them off to us, we'll give you a free lure as a thank you um, for doing that. And we're going to recycle them uh, into um, some stuff that wreck fishers can use and then those products will be sold, and you know, into wreck fishing shops and uh, you know tackle shops and so on. And the money we raised will go back into habitat conservation um, being delivered to Ozfish and Ozfish's um, members. Why is it so important to get these things out of the back shed, out of the garage, out of the environment? Um, well, there's a few reasons. The the, the materials that these um, the yabby traps are made of is actually 
very recyclable and can be turned into useful products for fishes. So that's part of it, I guess. You know, from a every everybody's talking about you know reducing plastic and and whatnot. So so that's that's part of the 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 um the story, if you like. But it's also because you know these um, yabby traps are no longer allowed to be used in New South Wales, and so there's no use for them now. And you know, as part of fishes being, you know, fishes are the fabric of New South Wales, if you like, and and you know, it's a way of life. And so, if we're encouraging fishers and fisher families to, you know, show up for their waterways, do what they love, you know, try and look out for the future generations to, you know, get plastic out of the system, get gear that's not very effective from a um, from an environmental point of view out of the system, then it, then it's a good thing. It's a win-win um, mm. for everybody. And we've got an alternate, you know, type of trap now that can be used. So it's really good and lots of fun for kids to use and so on um, through, the, through an active fishing um, sort of approach rather than just sort of leaving them and walking away for a while. And Anissa, why were they banned? Um, I wasn't involved, obviously, that's a DPI question, but my understanding is they were um, banned because of the um, the environmental impact that they had on some of our native wildlife, like platypus and rakali or, or native water rats, as they're also known, um, and other sort of freshwater turtles and so on. So my understanding was it was, they were brought, the ban was brought in because of the impact on um, non-target species. Um, and that they couldn't escape if they got stuck in them. Yeah, and the, the evidence was very strong, wasn't it? I know the, mm-hmm. the platypus conservation people kept sending me images of beautiful platypus drowned in these things, a lovely uh, rakali, uh, just a great little critter, the, the Australian native otter, I reckon we should yeah. call it. <laughs> They're little, little yeah, beauties, and they go in to eat the yabbies, and they can't get out and drown as well. It was just a, a no-brainer to get rid of them, and, and Victoria's done the same, so it's good a, across both sides of the border that um, they've, they've seen sense with these rotten things. And, and the, the other methods are great fun too, aren't they? The open top yeah. pots, you, you pull them in. Or the old way of a, a piece of string and a stick stuck in the bank of the dam, that, that, that works as well, a bit of meat on the end. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I and mean, nobody wants to catch a platypus. I mean, the last thing you want to do is find a platypus in a trap, right? Because we're not, that's not what we're there for. We're there to catch yabbies. So to me, you know, it's, it's sort of a no-brainer that this is, it's, you know, using the, the new, the, the new option that's out there around the, act, you know, that are active, um, active, you know, they have that active ability to be lots of fun and the kids can keep pulling them in and seeing what's there and so on. And they're also friendly for other animals, is, you know, is really a good thing, the, the open top net. And I believe that the beautiful, shiny uh, orgy lures, which are, are designed specifically to um, to uh, entice our native fish, have, have arrived. So people will be looking yeah. every, everywhere for these rotten pots to uh, get a brand new shiny orgy lure. Is that right? Yeah, and I just picked them up this morning and they look very pretty. Uh, they look very much like a yabby, actually. <laughs> there's a whole bunch of different colours and they look like yabbies. So um, we'll be at, we've got our first um, drop off. Swap event this weekend up in Warhope and uh, um, the the team will be up there with the orgy lures to hand out for those that come in and bring in their nets. Great, isn't it? And I think a lot of people, even though they're banned, may not know that they're banned and, and still have mm. them and throw them in the... Of course, you can't put them anywhere near rivers and, and uh, you know, they're for farm dams and things, but hopefully... Um, 
this will get the rest of them out of the environment because if, if you if you see one in your neighbour's shed, go and grab it and say, that's illegal, I'll dispose of it for you and claim a beautiful, brand-new, handcrafted native fish lure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's good all round, you know. And, yeah. and you're up the Hastings. Where, where are you at Warhope? Today um, and tomorrow at the Mid-North Coast caravan camping four-wheel drive fish and boat show, a bit of a mouthful, at the showgrounds in Warhope. And yeah. you just need to look for the, um, if you've got yabby traps that you want to drop in, um, you'll see some um, banners and some signage that says this is the trap drop spot um, for a yabby, the yabby trap roundup. And you can look for the for the Oz fish team that'll be there um, to collect the, um, the unwanted yabby traps and, and hand them in and get your lure in return. Oh, so easy. What a great way to get a beautiful Australian-made, uh, Australian-designed lure. And it's a really good initiative to get these rotten things out of the, the local environment. Uh, well done, uh, Tierra Ma, and uh, we'll catch you Thank next you. time on The Big Fish. Awesome. Thanks for that. No worries. All roads lead to Warhope today. This the fish is done. Come on, let's put the band together. Let's drum up some business. We'll sell some fish. You ready? Ready, guys? Beat screw. Come on. Into it. Let's go. Okay, that's it now. Fresh fish.
This is The Big Fish. Here comes Tinker with his fishing tips. Some hot advice for your fishing trip. Where to find them? What's the bait? Are you catching any, mate? Good morning, Stinker. Hey, g'day, Scott. Last week, a great episode exploring the, the mighty Karua River and the systems at the back of the port. This time we're going out to sea to explore Broughton Island, and there's a lot more to do there than just fishing, because the fishing isn't too good at the moment, so we're going exploring. Yes, well, it's not so much that the fishing isn't all that good, Scott. It's that it's, we're having great difficulty, because of the weather, to get at them. You know, there are fish are out there waiting for us, but because the, the conditions are just so... Are they not conducive to... Well, for me particularly. For me, fishing has become a real challenge because everybody knows I fish out of an 11-foot tinny with a 9-horsepower motor and I go to sea in stink pot. Now, that's all well and good when conditions are fine, but like they've been lately, firstly, they were too calm. We spoke about that, that the fish don't come in, the snapper don't come in to where I fish in the calm weather. And then the howling northerlies have kicked in. And so really, what I need um, and what I can guarantee, well, that's a scary word in fishing, but what I can nearly guarantee <laughs> is that when there's a southerly blowing on a two-metre sea, uh, well, particularly on a change of tide or into the evening, I'll catch really thumping great snapper. It's just magnificent. But those conditions I'm finding are really um, eventuating. Yeah, well, you've just got to do what nature allows you to do, and it's allowing you to explore Broughton Island. You've got a, an archaeological dig coming up there, which we'll talk about on next week's program, I think. But uh, what else can you do there, Stinker? Well, it's... a we really need to know more about Broughton Island. It's it's an untapped. Oh, it's a it's the jewel in the crown of Port Stephens, I believe. Uh, I mean, I also go to I love Fingal Bay where I live. But where I live, I look northeast, and on the horizon sits Broughton Island. And now it's intrigued me since 1975 when I first arrived in this town. And I started to learn a lot about it, or as much as I could. It's, it's, um, it's eight nautical miles from the heads. If you were to um, motor to Broughton Island from, from Nelson Bay, when you leave the heads, you'll be travelling about eight nautical miles. That's about, four, about 14 kilometres. Now, when you get there... The island is three um, three kilometres long and two kilometres wide. It's not all that big, really. But the beaches, oh, 
golly, the beaches. There's one, two, three, four beautiful beaches um, that rarely you'll see footprints on. And in the summer months, uh, that's really, really good whiting and flathead country on those beaches. I think you might have been there once in the summer. Was that right? We went in summer? Yeah, we did. We saw some massive whiting and, and went diving with Mark McAlone and saw some huge flathead up in the bays. You said to me, and that beach over the backside is just gorgeous, over the, the, the uh, western side of the island is just gorgeous, or north northwest, I guess. But you said to me it's the only island off the New South Wales coast that has uh, extensive beaches. That's right. That's right. Um, I haven't been to Lord Howe, and, of course, Lord Howe is oh, yes. to be part of New South Wales. But um, for the, with clo- close proximity to our coastline, yes, that's true, what you say. I have and, been and to Lord Howe, and, and there's a beautiful beach inside the lagoon and the coral fringe lagoon, and it's the most southerly coral lagoon, I think, uh, in the world as well. It's Yes, they're, they're quite different to, to Broughton, but, yes, there are beaches there, so... Uh, and I know they listen to us on Lord Howe. Great kingfish fishing, great uh, emperor, everything over there. Double headers, um, bluefish, you name it, they've got it. So, yes, we we better give them a cheerio. But uh, outside of um, Lord Howe Island, um, it's the only one with, with beaches. It is. It, it is. And Fingal doesn't really count because Fingal's not an island as such in front of my house. I mean, there's beautiful beach there too. But really, I still haven't quite fingered figured out what Fingal is. It's I think it's a tide island or an isthmus or or so I just don't know what the geological term for Fingal Island is. Um, but there's another story. We'll talk about that one later. But but Broughton, what it's it's got numerous attractions, as you say. Um, and it, what attracts me, and I've been going there since 1975, is um, the history. Uh, and I've sat down and wrote, written a book about that, and probably one of my most popular books, uh, Broughton Islander. I wrote that years ago. Uh, but I've learned a, a lot more about the place since since that book was published. But so I, the history, I can feel the history over there. Uh, it, it just generates that that strange feeling of of not knowing. Uh, just who was there first. Well, the Warramai people were there first. There's no doubting that. The Aboriginal people were there long before anyone else, and there is plenty of evidence to suggest that they were there for a long time. So that goes without saying that the Aboriginal people um, had really um, worked the place over because there were middens there with um, signs that have eaten shellfish, and and then there are spear sharpening sites. It's, It's a magnificent place. For, for that, uh, if you really want to search into um, into that, the history of Aboriginal people. But then, of course, the the, the, the pioneers coming going right back. Oh, well, Captain Cook sailed past in 1770, and he named it Broughton after one of his mates. Um, ah. he, he, tended, he tended to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I'll have to do a bit of, bit of research on who was Broughton, uh, yeah. Cookie's, Cookie's buddy. He was Cookie's buddy, Captain Broughton. Yes, he was. <laughs> and and it, Cookie, uh, Cookie never, um, named everything either after his mates or after himself. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Have you ever named anything Stinker after one of the kids or yourself? 
Yeah, well, I have named a few things because it's interesting. This is very interesting. It's, I'm, off, I'm off the beaten track at the moment, but with, to answer that question, because I write a weekly article in the local paper, and I have done, oh, gee, for 40 years, um, there are some places that don't have a name. <laughs> so in my article in the paper, I give it a name. And I know I give it to Wrong Way Reef and, and even Fingal Island. Fingal Island's not really. You won't find Fingal Island in any map, but I call it Fingal Island because people then can relate to it. And I was another place there, a rocky outcrop I, I wrote about is called a battleship because it looks like a battleship. Now, the whole community are talking about Wrong Way Reef, Fingal Island and battleship. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But now... <laughs> Going back to Broughton, so the bird life, um, well, since the the rats and the rabbits were eradicated in 2009 and the cockroaches, all they were all wiped out by um, National Parks and Wildlife, who did a magnificent job. And since then, the vegetation has jumped out of the ground and, of course, along come the birds as well. And the, and the top predator, the apex, is, is the sea eagle. But then all the shorebirds, beautiful shorebirds, um, Brahmini kites and peregrine falcon um, and uh, harriers. And then you've got the little uh, cisticulars and tiny little grasshopper birds. I mean, it's magnificent if that's what you're looking at. And then if you're even a geologist, well, don't ask me to answer any questions there. All I can say is there are some pretty strange structures over there that I, I, um, I have no idea how they were made. Well, the, tall, the highest point on the island, isn't it a geological structure? What's it called? Pink, pink on top or something? Pink on top, yeah. There's all this, there's all this sort of pink fungusy stuff around and, and it's the highest point on the island. And so that's pink and tom. And I've only ever been there once, and I'm not going again. No, it's a great oh. view. Yeah, it's a tough oh. walk, but yeah, you see right across to the mainland and right across to, uh, you know, the Gibber and, and the, the the big beach between Seal. You can see up to Seal Rocks and, and down to Tea Gardens. It, it really is spectacular. We're talking to Stinker about exploring Broughton Island. Um, what about reptiles on the island? There are reptiles on the island, aren't there? Well, there are. There are skinks. And they, I tell you what, it wouldn't be bad being a skink. They have a pretty good day. Their day is they wake up, they go to the warmest place they can find and lay in the sun, and that's it. The day's <laughs> over. Day's over. And they wait there for a fly to land or something, and then they go whoosh, and that's lunch. So sort of they don't have to chase anything. Oh, look, the life of a skink. Oh, dear, oh, you know, it's got a lot going for it. But there's also a little green snake over there too. They call it a marsh snake. Now, it's about not much thicker than a pencil, really. Um, and it, it gets around the place, but there are no uh, threatening snakes over there at all. So they're the, only, they're the only reptiles on the island. There are no mammals, and there is no record of ever being mammals. Um, I'm sure there may well have been back thousands of years ago, but... Um, no, there's, and there's no another sign of mammal. There's another rare reptile there. If if uh, frogs are reptiles, I think they might be. I'm, I could be wrong. They're amphibians, aren't they? Oh, amphibians. Oh, well, I think they're reptiles anyway. Yeah, oh, I don't know. Someone will correct me on that. But uh, yeah, there's yeah. a very rare one, isn't there? 
There is, um, and I'm led to believe that the um, uh, the black and gold, uh, uh, green and gold brill frog is it green and gold or black and gold? Green and gold, yes, yes. Green and gold bell frog. The green and gold bell frog is um, the, the, probably the biggest population, um, normal natural population, maybe in Australia of this particular frog. There's something else we'll probably need to look up. But no, I'm just before that, you, you're right. Frogs are amphibians, not reptiles. So once again, stinkers right. Well, <laughs> that was a pretty, that was a lucky one. But I, um, so I went to this habitat where they exist, and it is, it's, it's putrid. It's quite remarkable. <laughs> it's near the, it's near the water, near the ocean. It's fresh water. Well, it's not. It's brackish because it's it's salt and fresh mixed. But then. There's all this growth in the water that's rotted and, and it's really quite stagnant. There's no movement of the water, but the frogs love it. Oh, they think that's just perfect. And the, um, the tadpoles, well, I've never seen happier tadpoles in my life. <laughs> and they're all, a, and that, that's, that's the spot. But there's another spot as well uh, on the island. So that makes the island, again, unique. So for only a very small spot in the ocean, Broaden Island is very unique, but what the greatest attraction for people like you and I, Scott, um, and those who listen to a fishing program and want a few tips on fishing, the fishing is quite extraordinary. We've mentioned the beaches with the flathead and the whiting from around about February, March, April. That's the best time. But, of course, the island is famous for snapper. Yeah, yeah, ABC... It's the big fish with Stinker. And if you have a look at the book Broughton Islanders, which is his, I think it might be a bestseller, there's a picture of one of the commercial fishes with one of his hauls of snapper on the on the beach there. Just extraordinary, the number and size of those fish. Oh, and that, those fish were caught at 10 o'clock in the day with strips of, um, of what they used to call skippies, which we call bonito. So they were all caught in, at 10 o'clock in the daytime. Uh, Cod Rock, where you and I have been fishing, um, and that, that, just, that was pretty much a typical catch. Um, and that's fish up to 10, 12 kilo, uh, and as many as you could possibly catch. But the, the man who, who's in that photo is Demetrius Georges Cara George. He's a Greek lobster fisherman who lived on Broughton Island for 49 years. And uh, I wrote a, a kid's book about uh, Kerosene Tin Jim, is what they used to call him. But he had, um, his history is wonderful because he's come to Australia as a, as a child, really. I don't know. I figured her out about 13-year-old by himself. And, and he made a life looking for somewhere that he really thought was utopia. And he found it on Broughton Island, this Greek man. So yeah, and he did. He was a great gardener, and and uh, when people would visit the island, they'd uh, he'd say to them, "Oh, look! If you come over here, I'll show you where there's buried treasure." He said, "One of my countrymen um, buried his entire life savings here somewhere. Now there's a shovel there. If you dig, and you you might be able to unearth it." So they dig and dig and dig. And of course, they never did. They were exhausted, <laughs> and then he and then they'd leave the island, and then he'd plant all his watermelons. 
<laughs> That's very clever. I'm just looking at, at your website, actually, the picture, beautiful drawing, uh, painting on the front cover of Kerosene Tin Jim, the man who loved an island, and it's great. He's embracing a chicken and a rabbit, and there's a goat, and then there's a lobster and a snapper and a penguin and a, and a dolphin looking up at him from the water and a penguin perched on his shoulder. He was uh, an amazing character. It's a great little book, that one. It, oh, look, and oh, I'm so proud of that book. But there's another story to be told in that the rabbits were introduced onto the island in 1906 in an attempt to... Um, find something uh, like myxomatosis, this is pre-myxomatosis, that would eradicate, kill the rabbits, wipe them out because they were causing so much damage on the mainland to the pastoralists and those who were grazing sheep because they were eating all the pastures. But so they took them on to Broughton Island to do these studies. Now, this was a this was a godsend for the fishermen that lived out there because this was could be added to their diet. I mean, oh, how lovely, a roast rabbit or a stewed rabbit. So they all had rabbit traps. So it was a bit dodgy walking around the island in the evening, um, not knowing whether you're going to tread on a rabbit trap or not, because there were heaps of rabbits over there. They're gone now. They were wiped out in 2009. But anyway, um, on one particular occasion, I was told, they, they, dig the, they put the rabbit trap down, then they put a stake to hold the trap into the sand so, so that when the rabbit got caught, it didn't run away with the trap. So that's how they used to trap rabbits. So, But what happened is the um, early morning predator up in the skies, the great sea eagle, would look down on first light and would see these bunnies caught in the trap. So they'd swoop down and grab the rabbit or the bunny and then fly back up into the air and pull the stake out of the sand. And then so up in the air, flying above you, would be this <laughs> would be this eagle with the rabbit, with the trap attached. And so you'd be walking over nice and early to go fishing for flathead and you'd hear this clunk, 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 and you go, holy, put your arms over your head and run. <laughs> because what you don't want is a rabbit trap coming down from the sky and donging you on the scone. That would be very uncomfortable. <laughs> Bombs away. <laughs> Bombs away. <laughs> hey, Sticker, these are great stories. Look, uh, we're going to have some more on Broughton Island hopefully next week because you're heading across uh, very soon to, to do an archaeological dig. So we'd love to find out what that's all about, I think, with the uh, local University of Newcastle. So uh, tight lines, buddy, and, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Hooray, Scott. Craig McGill is on Sydney Harbour. Uh, at the moment, I thought you might be down selling your boat at Darling Harbour, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> no, mate, no. I'll be hanging on to this one for a while. Yeah, well, she's as solid as a rock, isn't she? <laughs> yeah, very mil plate. <laughs> it's like a battleship. <laughs> it is. For our listeners on The Big Fish who've just joined us, Craig is a a fishing guide on Sydney Harbour and spends 300 days a year out there chasing, well, whatever's going to bite, flathead, uh, mulloway, kingfish mainly. He loves the kingfish, squid, you name it. He's he's on it. Is is anything biting? I know you're out on North Harbour at the moment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, mate. The blackfish are on fire at the moment. Um, I took my daughter out yesterday and we got 15 between us. Uh, and basically left them biting. That was just in the last hour of the run out. And normally blackfish, when you get to the turn of the tide, when that drift slows up, they go off the bite, but they just they just kept going. 
And I said to her, look, we just, we've got enough, you know, we, we, we can't keep going. So we just called it at that and went, but we could have, we could have kept catching them all day. And they're very chunky, meaty fish. There's a, a lovely feed on a, a blackfish. They're very easy. I find them very easy to clean and get the, the pin bones out and, and skin. Uh, skinning yeah. is vital, though, I think. Don't you think? I mean, the, the iodine taste that people don't like is really in the skin, I think. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, you see these blackfish whole at the, at the, at the fish market. And um, I often wonder, you know, if people get them home and try and bake them or whole or fry them or whatever and they'd, they'd just be awful and it's sort of I think that's why the price of blackfish has stayed very low because they are a fish that you know I cook, they're a fisherman's fish you've you got to catch them yourself and look after them and, and you know clean them up a lot like Taylor and that they don't go that well through the market and they're so abundant now that the nets are out of Sydney oh. Harbour there's more of them there than ever before they're so abundant but they're so hard to catch sometimes take us through your uh, technique with your beautiful daughter yesterday Pretty standard. Um, so if you just imagine your standard rock fishing uh, outfit for blackfish, long, you know, 12 foot, I've just scaled that down a bit. So I'm still using stem floats, um, a little bit lighter than what you'd use off the rocks, though. Uh, my rods are 10 foot 6, but quite, um, you know, quite slow taper. Um, and I use the egg beater reel. Um, I, I, I've gone away from the, the traditional center pin i just find that well especially for charter fishing um it's a bit easier but i find you can do everything with the egg beater that you do with the center pin and much better for casting too of course um i just fish bale open i'm, I'm mostly fishing a current so it's it's pretty simple i'll just position the boat so I, i'm you know upstream of where the blackfish are and then basically all of my customers have got to do then is just drop the float in behind the boat and let the current take it back to the fish. So, cause you, you know, a blackfish rig can be can be fiddly. Um, you've got a lot of sinkers and a lot of bits dangling and flipping around and line caught around the tip of the rod and that sort of stuff. So it's, it, it's, it's a good, you know, this works really well. Um, they don't have to cast, they just drop it in and the current takes it back. All they've got to do is just feed it out, keep the bale open, and then when the float goes down, flip the bale wind as quick as you can and uh, pick up that slack. That's the tricky bit with black fishing, and that's where most people get it wrong, is that they don't pick up that slack. You've got to get that slack line out of the water. Otherwise, you strike, and the strike never really reaches the float or, 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 or you know, the hook for that matter. Um, and that really is, I think, the, the key, and that's you know why you need those longer rods. The blackfish I'm fishing for here in the harbour, they're essentially ocean fish. Um, they're the same ones you get off the rocks along yeah, the coast. They're yeah. not. They're not those river fish. They're they're bright coloured. You know, they're they're bronze with that purple sheen to them. Um, you really and, see and the bars on them too, don't you? Yeah, very distinct. Very distinct bars. Um, so they're, they're they're ocean fish. So I'm going and getting cabbage, which really it's abundant. It's just oh, a matter of having yeah. the right swell. Every rock, yeah. such good fun, and watching that float is so addictive. And just. Um, Working out how long you need to leave it down to—that that takes a little bit of craft, doesn't it? Yeah, and it varies. Like some days you'll find them just plucking at it. You know, you'll just get a quick down and it pops back up, and it can be quite frustrating. Other times they'll just rip it down too. And you know, they're a funny fish. You you, you can be adjusting your depth, and if you adjust it too deep, um, it'll be under the fish, and they'll go down and pick up the bait, and they'll swim back up into the school, and your float'll your float'll lift up and lie on its side. 
yesterday. It was just mad. Like you could see them coming up into the burley. Yeah. And you just using nice clean sand and chopped up cabbage weed? Very expensive sand off um, Clontarf Beach. <laughs> about about a thousand bucks a bucket, going on the price of real estate at Clontarf. Yeah, just chop up the weed, just like you're making tabbouleh or something, and mix it in, mix it in through the sand. And otherwise, you know, people always ask me, oh, "Why are you mixing the sand?" Because if you just chuck the weed in, of course, it just floats off down in the current. It's to add a bit of weight. But I, I also think that you know when you flick that sand in, and I've got one of those. Um, I've got one of these Japanese burley ladles. Ah, yeah, like a like a a soup um, ladle. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very much so. Which is great because it stops, you know, you're getting sand all over the boat and under your fingernails and in your reel and all the rest of it. So I use one of them. But you'll notice when you flick the you flick the sand in, it's not just the weed; it makes a big plume of sand too. And I think visually that attracts them. They're a great fish, and you know, here in the harbour, uh, you'll get them round the headlands and jetties and any sort of structure in the lower reaches but i've seen them right through up to almost into the fresh water um up in uh up the back of middle harbour and and lane cove river and places like that um yeah so they're they're pretty widespread i i do prefer to eat the ones from the lower reaches i think you know when they've been in salt good salt water for a while they they do tend to taste a bit better than those upstream ones um but they're all pretty good yeah it's great fun look i'll let you get back into it i know (laughs) You're out for a, a feed. It's such a wonderful harbour that you've got something every every month of the year virtually to target. So tight lines, mate, and uh, whoop, your float just went down. <laughs> <laughs> See you, mate. Strike! Oh, get out of it, bloody seagulls. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listener.